Each episode of Education with an Edge is meant to create, cultivate, and inspire honest discussion about issues affecting youth. Hosted by author, artist, educator, advocate, and speaker, Jaquel Lane. Hello, this is Jaquel Lane and Education with an Edge, and I am your host. Today, we have an exceptional guest with us, Michelle Faulkner. We are so very excited to have Michelle here with us today. She is an inspiring woman who has paved the way for many others, not just in her vocation of pharmacy, but by being an example of what a lifelong learner is. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Michelle. Oh, I'm so glad that you invited me to come and have a chat with you. Well, we appreciate it. Um, so can you tell us, first off, we'll, we'll start off with our introductory questions. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from and your childhood or yep. anything personal yep. you want to share? Thank you. So I'm, I'm an Omaha kid. I, you know, I was born in, in Utah, lived in Oregon for a little while, but by the time I hit the kindergarten years, I was here in Omaha. So I grew up uh, in Millard, and um, unfortunately, I lost my, uh, lost my father when I was 13. I'm so sorry. Um, but, you know, that we had moved around because of my father's job up till that point. So um, we were, Omaha was home, you know, at that point, and um my brother being significantly older than me was off at college. And so it was just my mother and I. And so when I decided to go ahead and uh, go to school, knowing I was going to go into pharmacy, um, fortunate enough to live in a city where there were two pharmacy schools. And so I stayed here for college. uh, And then it wasn't until I graduated that I left and went to explore the world a little bit, landed in uh, San Antonio, (laughs) Texas, Beautiful. did my my residency down there, stayed there for a few years, and then came back and I took my teaching position at Creighton. Very cool. Um, And I can tell you that uh, Michelle is an Omaha girl and you're very supportive of everything that goes on in the community of Omaha. Um, but we'll we'll get into all of your involvements here in a minute. But looking back on your childhood, since this is a podcast that's geared towards youth, and hopefully someone's out there, what you know, listening that is thinking about what they're going to do, um, either in their future and their career, and kind of wondering about how people get to where they are. Um, you know, looking back on your chi- on a childhood memory, what did you dream of becoming um, when you were little, and why? Well, the, the family joke is, is that the first time anybody ever asked me this question is <laughs> I was bound and determined that when I grew up, I was going to be a gas station lady. Love it. So yeah, I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to be the woman that came out to your car and pumped yes. the gas and, and cleaned your windshield. Yes. I thought that was very cool for it's some reason cool when job. I was about four years old. <laughs> Um, I don't know that there was ever a time when I went, I'm going to grow up and be a pharmacist, but I was always drawn to science you know, no, no matter what in school, those were always my favorite subjects. And so when it came time to kind of pick a direction, um, healthcare seemed like a, seemed like a fit. Um, I wasn't sure I wanted to be a career student and, and go into medicine. Um, of course I say that knowing that I had to go through undergrad and then another, you know, four and a half years of school to become a PharmD. But, um, you know, I, I, I didn't think nursing was a fit. And so I, I really was just kind of, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring for pharmacy. And fortunately, it clicked. And here I am. And I love that you make the the comment about that you were interested in in science and, and math and the medical field, because that's a real struggle that we have. Mm-hmm. And you and I have talked about with that STEM. with young yeah. girls. Yeah, with young girls, not, um, there was a certain age point and, and, you know, where they 
either lose interest or for some reason they lose self-esteem mm-hmm. in those areas. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's awesome that you were able to hold on to that and that um, you had the you know intrinsic encouragement within yourself to to push yourself in those areas. Um, you know, we do work really hard here at Education with an Edge to inspire young people um, and adults alike, but what do you think the most significant obstacle or challenge in your youth was, and how did you overcome it? Well, you know, when I talk about this, um, you know, you you and I are good friends, and yes. you've known me for a while, and I think I even got this look from you when I said this out loud the first time, but when I was young, I was painfully shy. I was and such... That shocks me, because you're such a wonderful, open, like... Well, and, but, and I think it's it's the the... Becoming an academic, I think, changed that for me. Yes. You sort of don't have a choice. Yeah. Um, but even now, I would still describe myself as an extroverted introvert because there's still that part of me that just wants to go home and shut sure. the door and, and just kind of hide away in my own little <laughs> sanctuary. Um, but I was unbelievably shy. Uh, just always afraid that if I opened my mouth, somebody was going to judge what I said or perceive me the wrong way. Um, and I developed a defense mechanism. So I, you know, I, I portrayed myself as very confident, um, but very quiet. And so I, I think people who didn't know me, who encountered me felt that I was kind of aloof and uncaring, which was so far from the truth. truth. I was, I was terrified on the inside of, of, you know, saying the wrong thing or making a fool out of myself. And so I just didn't talk. Um, So it's amazing. Even now, when I run into people from high school who didn't really know me well, and we have a conversation, there's that moment where this look comes across their face and they're like, you're nothing like I thought you were. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I own that because I, you know, I'm the one who was afraid to, to kind of speak up and let people know who I was. But it's amazing what you feel inside and how what you, you're putting off to the world can be completely opposite. But I think that shyness held me back um, quite a bit until I really kind of hit my stride in college. Right. But it's awesome that you found that stride. And I think so often, too, for kids, they're just yearning to find something that they're successful at. And Mm -hmm. you, in your case, it was academia. But you were also, you and I have talked about, like, you were also a cheerleader and you were very involved. Well, I was on on what what Miller North called the drill team. I love it. Yeah, I was on the, basically on the dance squad. So yeah, it was kind of a... It was kind of a mixed bag because yeah. I was, you know, I was a very quiet straight A student, but I was also running around in the cheerleading uniform and it was, you know, it was kind of, I'm not sure people knew what to do with me because right. I didn't really, I didn't fit a mold, you right. know, but, but I was one of those people who had friends in every group in school, yes. but not a lot of close friends and not really a primary group that I considered my group, Sure, you know, so. But I think like, which is an attribute because you accepted everyone mm-hmm. and, you know, and everyone's differences. Probably because I was just thrilled to be accepted. Right. You know, exactly. Honestly. Like many of us are, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, like many of us are. Uh, so, Michelle, you have had quite the career. What was your career path and how did you end up becoming a pharmacist and later a collegiate professor in pharmacy at Creighton? Total serendipity. <laughs> Complete and total serendipity. Hashtag if, life. Yeah. If you know, if 
because of the shyness and, and who I was, if you had told me that I was going to be standing up in front of a classroom lecturing to 100 people or, you know, now by extension going out and lecturing to, you know, a group of physicians or a group of colleagues or, you know, doing webinars to 2,500 people, yes. I would have told you you had lost your mind. There was no way this was ever going to be the truth. But um, I was living in San Antonio at the time and um, found myself on my way back to Omaha. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, a retail pharmacy, God bless those people. It's an amazing and an important job, but I'm not cut out to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's never what I wanted to do. It's not why I went into pharmacy school. And so my designs were more on hospital-based pharmacy. I liked, um, I liked that better. And so I contacted a friend of mine that I had uh, graduated with and asked her to kind of feel out the job market in Omaha for me. And she got a hold of one of our former professors and asked him if he knew of anything. And he said, well, as a matter of fact, we actually have a faculty position. And um, I was a little shocked to hear that because, you know, he'd been one of my professors. So I thought, well, he must have enough confidence in me to think that I could possibly be a candidate for this. Um, And I, I, I thought, well, let's give this a shot. And I threw my hat in the ring and I've now been at Creighton teaching for 22 years. I love that. I love that for a lot of reasons, but I think so oftentimes when we were young as young people and even, you know, as an adult, there's opportunities that come to us and we say, well, we're not equipped or we're not ready or we're not whatever. And I love that you, that that door opened and you were just like, Hey, I'm going to do it. And he thinks that I can do it. And so let's just go for it. And it, I mean, you love it and you're great at it and your students love you. And I mean, you're changing lives. The odd reality of standing in front of a room full of people that taught you just a few years ago and asking them to allow you to become their colleague was, was strange. (laughs) That was a really strange experience. And that transition was weird too, because I was so used to calling these people, you know, doctor this and doctor that and and thinking of them as my um, superior. Well, in some ways, yeah, yeah. very much so superiors, I guess. And, and the transition to these are now my peers and my colleagues that, that took a while. It took a while to kind of wrap my brain around that. But that's also, and I'm sure now that you're a professor, that's also every teacher's dream is that your student can talk the talk and and that you've done your job and that you're looking at this amazing person going, Hey, you did it. You know, you learned the material and now you're applying it. And it kind of makes me giggle now because when my students graduate and they run into me, you know, in the world of pharmacy, they always revert to calling me Dr. Faulkner. And I I look at him and I I scold him and I say, no, 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 you and I are colleagues now. That's so cool. You know, I'm Michelle now. Yeah. And it's it's hard for them. It it is. But it's tough when you're in that mindset. Right. Um, You know, you are very, very passionate about the practice of patient-centered care and the patient-centered approach. And and how pharmacists play this essential role in that experience. Um, and I'd like you to elaborate on that because, you know, you and I are very close and I've had you explain it to me. I didn't even know the intricacies that went into that. And so can you can you talk a little bit about that? Right. Well, you know, the public face of, of pharmacy has always been the person in the white coat standing behind, behind the counter the getting giving you your medications. Right. And that's such a tiny part of what pharmacy is. Um, you know, you can you can go into industry, you can be in hospital practice, and that's morphed so much over the last couple decades. You know, pharmacists are embedded with the medical team now. When you go on rounds, you're likely to have a pharmacist on the team. 
And, um, you know, the data is out there to show that when you have a pharmacist on the team, hospital stays are shorter, ICU stays are shorter, people have better health outcomes. And so um, the, the medical world is starting to kind of wake up to that, as are insurance companies, which is nice, because pharmacy is still the only medical profession that does not routinely get paid for our cognitive services. Wow. And it's our own fault. I mean, we, we developed our profession around lick, stick, and pour, and we were satisfied with that, but you know the the world was bound to change, and it has. Um, and so, you know, lipstick and pour is now becoming less uh, a necessity. Um, and infor- unfortunately, we're you know we've got the education to to kind of broaden our horizons. But um, you know, pharmacists truly are a part of the team. We're we're not in isolation. You know, working at a Walgreens or a CVS or or somewhere else. And so. Um, that's the fun part of the job for me is working with my colleagues and it's, it's solving puzzles is what it is. You know, every patient is a puzzle and you put your heads together to solve the puzzle for the patient. So I, you know, that's, that's what I love. That's where I thrive. And that, that makes sense to me. And, and if, from my perspective, if I was ever to be a patient, I would want the individual that's a prescribing me medication to be right in there with the doctor to be able to say, you know what, we can't do that. That's going to interact or that's yeah. going to, you know, something's going to change. So obviously just as many people working on the problem, I like how you refer to it as a puzzle. Um, what is the one thing that you would like young people um, who are going into the pharmacy profession to know? Well, oh God, there's a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, from, from an academic standpoint, I can, I can tell you one of the things that is a difficulty that that we um, as professors in this area run into. Um, Education in the um, pre-collegiate time frame has changed so much. And there's a lot of, you know, when you and I were in school, you got a test. And if you didn't pass the test, that was it. That was it. You (laughs) failed. You didn't get second chances. You didn't get third chances. Um, And then when these people land in pharmacy school, and that's kind of been what they've experienced all the way through their academic career, and we look at them and say, no, you don't, you don't get a second chance. And the reason why, and we're trying to impart this on you, is that when you're dealing with patients, there is no second chance. You get one Your chance. decimal point is <laughs> off by one. You've just given somebody a tenfold overdose. Right. That's a problem. You don't get a second chance. So you don't get a second chance in pharmacy mm-hmm. school either. You either know it or you don't. The other thing is, is helping them come to grips with the fact that you don't need to be a straight-A student. You need to learn the material. The cram and dump doesn't work. You're going to have to sit for boards at some point, and you're actually going to have to know this material. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the other thing I think is just what we what we just talked about is that there's so many avenues out there for somebody who wants to go into pharmacy. You're you're not limited to the world of retail. And again, I give those people props because that's not an easy job. Yeah. And they're the face of our profession, yes. you know, which makes them even more important. Um, but there's so many other things to do. And we really need people to go into the profession who are excited to go out and advocate and innovate and get the insurance companies to recognize us for what we do, because we know that we save the healthcare industry and, and by extension, the public at large money Yes. Um, you know, by by making sure people get the best possible medication related care that they can. So, yes. you know, there's there's a lot to be done and we need people who are ready to hit the ground running to do it. So 
And and so if you're a young person out there and you're thinking about going into the field of pharmacy, as Michelle just explained, there's a wide variety and a, and a, a, a faceted approach to all of the levels and all of the career paths that you can take, which is important to note. Uh, what do you feel is the one of the most significant issues affecting healthcare today, and what are some solutions-oriented approaches to it? You know, that's tough. The, the first thing that comes to mind, I think, when anybody asks that question these days is the cost of healthcare. Um, and, you know, there have certainly been cases where the cost of medication um, has risen, medications that have been on the market for years and years and years. Um, and there's a little bit of a question mark as to why that's happening. Um, but on the other side of things, having a lot of friends in industry and knowing the kind of money these companies have to put out in order to bring a drug to market, mm-hmm. how many compounds they, uh, patent that never do make it to market after they've already spent millions of dollars on their development. Um, I, I see the balance there. So I do see both sides of that. Um, But I think the other thing is that we still practice medicine in our own little silos, Mm -hmm. and particularly when you're dealing with specialists. So, you know, I I work in a neurology clinic. Yes. When my students are in clinic with me and they do case presentations for me, we talk about the neurology aspect of it. But if they have high blood pressure, we talk about that. And we talk about their diabetes and we talk about their asthma and we talk about their you know, reflux and everything else, because you have to treat the patient holistically. But they also know that when they're seeing the patients with the physicians, that if they look at a neurologist and say, hey, his blood pressure is not under control, the neurologist is going to say, well, then tell him to go to the person who's prescribing his, his blood pressure medicine to fix that. So, you know, instead of a, a nice holistic approach, it's, there's a lot of kind of this, that's not my job. Yeah. And I don't necessarily blame the physicians for that because I see how overworked they are. Yes. Um, you know, it's not just about the practice of medicine anymore. Medicine is a business. And so business. the things that they have to do in addition to seeing their patients and just caring for them takes up an astronomical amount of time. And so we've built this, you know, this house that we're with a bunch of little rooms in it and the doors are all closed and we need to figure out how to make communication um, with other members of the, the healthcare team taking care of the patient easier so that everything is, is a little bit more seamless and so the right hand knows what the left hand's doing. Sure. Yeah. No, thank you. Uh, you are very passionate about a specific illness and you have worked tirely, tirelessly on a clinic to support uh, the research for it. Can you tell us a little bit about that and about why you care so deeply? Right. So... When I was in pharmacy school, um, and we were all coming towards, you know, our last year and, and getting ready to pick our clinical rotations and, and where we were going to go, it seemed like one of the things everybody wanted to do at the time was pediatrics. And I didn't have that affinity. Yes. My affinity was toward just, just the opposite end of the spectrum. I love dealing with geriatric patients. Yes. And I, th- I think the reason is because... I mean, anybody being sick is sad, and a sick child is, is, you know, that's heartbreaking. But most of the time, those children have such a, a large support system and a group of people that are rallying around them. Yes. And then you go and you look at somebody maybe in a skilled nursing facility who's lost their spouse, mm-hmm. um, who if they have children, their children live in other parts of the country, and they, they truly have nobody, you know, close by. 
And that that kind of tugged at the heartstrings for me. That that was the population that I wanted to make a difference for. So that and my interest in neurology led me to Parkinson's disease patients. Yes. And so um, I, I really kind of dug in there and uh, the American or the um, we have a, a, a nonprofit group here in, in Omaha, in Nebraska, called Parkinson's Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been on their board since its inception. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a group of people. It's amazing how involved they are in their care um, and how, how much tenacity these people have, yes. how, how hard they're willing to work to maintain um, their ability to function and do the things that they want to do. It's, it's really inspiring. And so it's, it's rewarding to work with them. It's a tough disease to watch because it progresses no matter what, but um, the rewards of working with them and seeing them um, kind of pull themselves back from a decline is, is amazing. It's just an amazing feeling. That's extremely inspiring. Yeah. Thank you so much for the, for the work that, that you do. Um, you're a professor at Creighton University. Uh, can you think of a student that had a significant impact on you and why? I'm sure there are several. I, yeah, but. I was going to say, it's, <laughs> it's difficult for me, I think, to um, probably pick out a single student. But one thing that has struck me, and it still does, is you have a tendency to kind of lose your students in a sea of faces, especially with the kind of teaching that we do. Most of my teaching is in the clinical environment. So I get to know those students very well because I've only got a couple of them with me at a time. But when I'm standing in front of a classroom, it's it's a huge number of students. I yes. don't know them one-on-one unless I have reason to interact with them outside of class. Um, and so it's it's easy to forget that every one of these students is an individual and is going through something. So there have been a number of times over the course of my career where I've had to talk to a student in my office. You know, maybe it was one of my advisees. Maybe it was just somebody who was doing poorly um, in a class that I taught or on my rotation. And you start teaching, you start talking to them about about the work and the approach to what they're doing and and the next thing you know, the two of you are sitting in your office blubbering and, and, and you know, talking about life and, and all these things that are going on behind the scenes. And I think, um, you know, especially like some of the students who've come from other countries who are going to a very, going for, through a very rigorous program, yes. which takes up a tremendous amount of time, and they're trying to work on the side so they can send money back home to oh. their family and the country you know, where they, where they, uh, emigrated from. Um, and it just, it makes you take a step back and just go, wow, what I don't know about this group of people sitting in front of me is a tremendous amount. And just to try to log that in the back of your mind so that you approach everybody, um, with understanding and compassion out of the gate instead of, you know, why aren't you getting this? Or why, you know, why are you approaching it this way? This isn't what we taught you, you know, so. And I'm so very grateful that we do have professors like you because, you know, with a little bit of an encouragement, which I know that you give your students, that individual can go on and be a great pharmacist and can work work in healthcare and give back. And so thank you for everything that you're doing. Well, I appreciate that. Um. So I always like to throw this zinger in here uh, since we're, <laughs> we're coming to the end. Um, what do you want your legacy to be? 
I I don't know. I guess I just want to have a positive impact on the people I teach. I yes. mean, I um, I'm I'm over being needing to be liked. Yes, <laughs> it's not, amen. You know, we talk I'm, about I'm, that on this show. Yeah, I'm here to I'm here to teach you. Yes. Um, and if you know, if we can have a a friendly you know, a friendly relationship over the course of doing that, that's great. Um, but I'm your teacher first. Um, I guess it's just that, you know, to know that whatever I'm responsible for in terms of imparting information on these people so that they can go out and um, do the right thing by their patients Yes, is, is what I want my legacy to be. And, and the one thing I always tell my students is, I know it's scary approaching a prescriber and telling them that you think you have a better idea mm-hmm. for the way they're approaching their patient, sure. especially as a student. Um, but what you always have to remind yourself is that there's a person on the other end of your idea. And as long as you're doing what you think is best for that patient, you may have to develop a little bit of a thick skin, but the worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to tell you no. And at least you can still look yourself in the eye, in the mirror, and say, I did what I could for that person. And that's a good lesson for any kind of adversity or any kind of conflict resolution that we find ourselves in or that our students find themselves in is that as long as you're standing up for what you believe in and you can look at yourself at the end of the day and you can sleep well at night, you yep. know that you've done the right thing. And sometimes so. it requires a thick skin. Yes. I mean, I definitely sure. I definitely sure. had to develop a thick skin. Um, yeah. But... Uh, now I I no longer hesitate to at least ask the question. Yes. You know, so. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, finally, if there was one quote or motto that you live by, what would it be? Something that I still struggle with. I think it's uh, be generous with yourself and be generous with your time, but remember that you have the right to say no. Yes. Practical, practical advice, yeah, especially yeah. in this day and age. Yes. Oh, my yeah. goodness. And I'm, I'm still working on that. Yes. I'm still uh, working on that. Well, Michelle, thank you so very much for the work that you are doing and the lives that you are changing because you are each and every day. Thank you. We are so very grateful for your time with us. Uh, Michelle is once again uh, a pharmaceutical professor at Creighton University, and and we're so grateful that she was able to spend some time with us here today. Thank you for being uh, with us on Education with an Edge, the podcast dedicated to our youth because every child matters and they are our future. Have a great day. If you have a question or just want to learn more, go to jaquellelane.com. Thanks for listening to Education with an Edge. A Media Production.